We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna You talked about those linebackers, Kim, that they have there. I'll just throw one out there, and this is just me connecting the dots. A.J. Klein was a linebacker for the Panthers these last couple of years when Sean McDermott was a defensive coordinator. The expectation is that the Panthers are not going to be able to retain him. They have their other linebackers there, and, and he's kind of fit in where he could when there's been some injuries and other stuff. And a lot of times if you're a defensive coach, or, or, or coach, excuse me, you get a guy on the side of the ball that you were a coordinator to come with you to teach some of these other guys what it's all about. I know Sean McDermott likes McDermott likes A.J. Klein. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. This is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Mike Garofolo from NFL Network talking about a possible free agent acquisition with ties to the Buffalo Bills. And McDermott, AJ Klein. We'll get to him later. <laughs> oh, we've got plenty to cover tonight, guys. It's it's here. There's finally something happening during this offseason process. I mean, today was the first day for the NFL Combine. You've got you know rookie NFL hopefuls showing up. They're going to get poked and prodded like cattle. You know, they're going to get every orifice of their body tested, checked. You know, there's going to be, it's like going to the airport. There's going to be a sex test, make sure <laughs> if they're actually a man or a woman. It's it's unbelievable. And then, they're, you know, they're going to, obviously, they're going to measure everyone's hand size since that's one of the most important things when it comes to any position in the NFL. I heard that's what O'Leary's doing this week. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the hand sizing at the, at the combine. Oh, guys, we're finally getting some action here. You know, with the start of free agency coming up, with the NFL Combine starting, there's so much going on right now after a couple weeks of just nothing. It's just been a football wasteland. I, for one, embrace it because it finally gives me something I can really sink my teeth into. And with that being said, we're going to move on, get things started here with this week's Bills News Update. is looming for a Tyrod Taylor decision, ladies and gentlemen. This audio comes to you from the Mike and Mike show, in which they were discussing on ESPN, they were discussing 
Tyrod Taylor's situation with the Bills as it currently stands? I think Buffalo may have a change of heart from this standpoint. Initially, the expectation was that they were going to release him. They were not going to pay the guarantee of almost $28 million. But since then, what has come out? There are at least several teams that have serious interest in Tyrod Taylor if he hits the market. If you're Buffalo, you then have to sit back and say, wait a minute, what are we missing here? If all of these other teams are interested in this player, then why are we getting rid of him? And what are we replacing him with? And right now... You can't say that there is a better replacement for Tyrod at this point. Now, also knowing the way that the salary cap is going up, his deal may be cheap by NFL standards within a year or two. So you have to take all that into account. So right now, I'm not so quick to say, as I was a month or two ago, that the Bills are going to get rid of Tyrod Taylor. I think they take a second look at it at this point. We have no idea of who that was on Mike and Mike (laughs) talking about that. We couldn't find it. If I had to guess... It was the uh, president and CEO of FUBU based on his outfit. He, it was some analyst that was wearing sweats. He was not. Don't don't you watch the video? You can watch the video on ESPN.com. He wasn't dressed for his job. I, he he either works at like some place like Foot Locker or. He's the president and CEO of FUBU. I'm telling you guys, we, you know what? We're going to let us know what you think on Twitter. We're going to put a link to the video in, in the description of this week's podcast. You tell us. Does this guy work <laughs> at FUBU? Or how is this guy an analyst? For us, by us. But you heard it from him. You know, the Bills went into this entire process, and I think a lot of Bills fans, you know, I, myself included, Went into this offseason saying, okay, you know what? We need to get better at quarterback. We know that. And I don't know. There was a sense of the fan base saying, ah, to hell with Tyrod Taylor. And yet now here we are. And it seems like, I mean, there's still a decision to be made. And it sounds an awful lot like the landscape around Tyrod may be changing. You know, some of the way of thinking about from the franchise's standpoint may be changing. All I know is that by the time we get together to record another podcast, the Bills will have made a formal decision on whether to retain his services or not. You look at the two different categories here. There's two trains of thought. There's, hey, we should keep this guy around. Here's the reasons why, if you're on that side of the fence, I think you fall there. First off, you look at offensive continuity. You think about what we were on offense last season. We were one of the top 15 scoring offenses in football. I know some of those came in garbage time, but the fact is they were on the scoreboard. If you could get improved defensive play and get at least last year's production on offense, there's no reason we couldn't be in the playoff race. True or false, Chris? No, he... I I don't like Tyrod. I know you don't. But but can you at least admit that if our defensive played better... With what our offense put up. Think about the Miami game yeah. in this season. If our defense. Which Miami <laughs> If our defense had played better, we could have won more football games, at least two or three. I think we could have had that game if you stayed. <laughs> there was no staying for me. <laughs> then you know, a new offense might relate better to Tyrod's skill set. You know, you're talking about Rick Dennison, and you know we had Eric Turner from CoverOne.net on here, and we talked at ad nauseum about how this scheme 
could benefit a guy who has the mobility Tyrod has and the strong arm he has, but also the risk aversion because he's not going to throw a lot of contested footballs. He's just not going to do it. Then a change at quarterback could signal complete rebuild. You know, if you go into next season not knowing who your quarterback is and you don't get a guy like Tony Romo and you don't get a guy like Jay Cutler and you go into next season with Cardale Jones as your starter, I think that that is a tough sell. Not just to the fan base. It's a tough sell to every one of those veteran players on your team still. How do you expect? I mean, I get it. They're professionals and you're never going to hear them admit the fact that they would ever quit on their team. But at the same time, how do you expect these veteran players, your Kyle Williamses, your core, your um, who's our safety there? Aaron Williams? No. The, Corey well, Graham. Oh, okay. Aaron Williams. Corey Perfect Graham. example. If Aaron Williams thinks that this team is about to overhaul the roster and suck for the next two seasons, what is his motivation to come back here? and? Tr- he said he loves this fan base. He said that that's one of the things that drives him is that he wants to bring us something because we've been so good to him over the years. What is his motivation then to come back and put his health and safety on the line for a third season that could be shortened by severe injury if they're blowing up the roster with no shot at delivering a playoff berth here? Well, for Aaron Williams, he should be concerned with your health. I I know, but I'm just saying that if if you move on from Tyrod right now and you don't know who your guy is going into the next season, that is a tough sell to everybody. Means you're going to tank and get a you're quarterback tanking. from 18. Now, and so this brings me to the reasons why we shouldn't keep Tyrod Taylor. Okay, even though he won't be making top tier money, I think we've talked about it, and he falls like 16th in quarterback contracts. Like his, this, this new deal will make him the 16th highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Which, you know, as he, you know, with, with the with the salary cap rising every year, it will. every year. In a couple years, the guy's not wrong. That contract may look really good on paper. When you go back and you take a look and say, okay, damn, we have a starting quarterback who, yes, he's not a world beater, but he's also the 22nd highest paid quarterback in football, and he got us to a point where he was our bridge quarterback. He got us to where we needed to be but didn't make our team uncompetitive. Yeah, there's also the at the end of that, well, the clip you didn't hear that I cut out. He said that he didn't. If he has, he'll be good if he has pieces around him. He's got Shady and Chuck Clay, and he he never throws to Chuck Clay. <laughs> and he's the one thing that you hate is his uh, over the middle. Yeah. Well, no, his. Uh, I'm not going to throw this away. I'll take a sack. You check down to your tight end and your running back. Well, and that speaks to the second reason why I would again. I can see if the Bills decided not to move on, is that. In his first two seasons, I get it. Even though he's been in the league for years, he, he was never a starter, and he never got starters reps. He never got starters attention from the you know the coaching staff and everything else. So he is, in essence, an older rookie. But I didn't see any real progression or growth as a passer in year two from year one. I really didn't. I didn't see. He, he came into the season with a couple things that he really needed to try to work on. They really needed to get better at, and I didn't see it. You know, passes over the middle, knowing when to throw the ball away and not take a sack to lose yardage. Just just some of this stuff that is needs to be cleaned up, and I didn't see any growth at all. So I could see them saying, "Hey, we're not going to pay for another season of that." 
it's it's crazy, and it's it's really going to dictate the landscape of the Buffalo Bills going into next season, more so than anything we do in free agency or in the draft. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And obviously, like I said, by the next time we record, we'll have a lot to talk about on that subject. Next on the chopping block here for Bill's news, cap management. There are some subtle moves here that could reap huge rewards for the Buffalo Bills. Now, I have to give credit where credit's due. A lot of what I'm about to talk to you about comes, I shouldn't say comes from, the article was the article was written by Matt Rich Warren of BuffaloRumblings.com. Now, it's not that I avoid the website. I used to love that website. And when Brian Galliford left it, I felt like the quality of the writing slipped a bit. And with the amount of work I put into the show, I just I don't have time for it anymore to read subpar writing. But Matt Rich Warren is a guy I have a lot of respect for. And I'll go out of my way to kind of find his articles and read them. And this article that he put together had a lot of great stuff to talk about. Now, for those of you who haven't read it, I'm going to run it down for you. The Buffalo Bills are in the bottom 10 for NFL franchises when it comes to available cap space. That narrative has been beaten to death by this point. But for the, for the savvy GM, there's some moves that you can make without having to cut players, you know, which is what everyone's speculating could happen with Kyle Williams because of his salary, that could net a shitload of cap space for the 2017 season. First and foremost, a restructure of Marcel Darius's contract. Did you hear that pause? I made that pause so that all of you who heard restructure Marcel Darius could get your collective groans out of the way before I start talking again. Darius's cap hit for 2017 is $16.4 million. That's a shitload of money to commit to just one guy. And that's part of the reason that we're in this salary cap pinch in the first place. I mean, he's got five years remaining on his contract. So if the Bills wanted to, they could take 9 to $10 million of his salary, convert it to a bonus. That would free up about $7 million in cap space. And I understand that every single one of you out there is gonna, you know, who doesn't like Darius, who wants it, all the people who are yelling for him to be traded after he was suspended for the four games. I saw a lot of people say, let's cut him. Oh, oh yeah. cut him, trade him, get let's rid of him. take a $42 million cap hit, please. Right? Exactly. You can't trade him. For those of you who think it's a bad idea because of his off-the-field issues, you don't have to worry because all of these bonuses and these things we'd be kicking down the road are tied to, tied to his conduct policy. So the team, in the event that he screws up again and catches a year-long or a 10-game suspension, could recoup the majority of that money. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer then. Because I, honestly, I do not see, for as much as some of you out there want it, they're not going to cut Marcel Darius. A, the dead money involved would be crazy. B, when he's plugged in and motivated, like maybe a guy like our new defensive line coach, Mike Waffle, might be able to get him motivated. He is one of the best interior defensive linemen in football. There's no arguing that. You can't fight me on it. You can. (laughs) If you come, come on down to Depew (laughs) and fight Drew. So the next move on the chopping block, restructure Cordy Glenn. And this one seems like a no-brainer. Glenn is a guy the team is not planning on moving on from anytime soon. His dead cap hit at that point because we aren't, I, I don't see a world in which he retires. I mean, right now, sitting where I sit, I can't tell the future. 
but he's got five years on his deal, and I don't see us cutting him or him retiring during that time span. So the team could convert about $8 million of his salary and roster bonuses into a signing bonus. He would be guaranteed then to be on our roster until 2020 because his dead money would be so severe if we cut him. But I'm pretty sure that would happen anyway. Right, Chris? Yeah, sure. You're just speaking a whole bunch of cap numbers that I don't (laughs) know about. Sure. Okay. Well, what if I told you it would free up another $7.5 million? Let's do it. (laughs) Exactly. It's a no-brainer. And then another savvy move if you're a good GM. Right now, you can't restructure the contract of Eric Wood. And Eric Wood counts about 7.6, I believe the number is, million dollars against our cap, according to SportTrack. So you can't restructure the guy. But think about who Eric Wood is. He's the heart of that interior line. He plays very well. Of course. I would say, based on what I read today in the news, um, Pro Football Talk, according to Bill Polian, Eric Wood would be a Hall of Famer. Oh, boy. Because I don't know. I don't know if you said, Bill Is Pol- he off his meds? Yeah. Bill Polian said that Randy Moss and Terrell Owens <clears throat> shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because of their uh, selfishness and uh, their locker room presence. Bill Polian's an old, sto- an old, an old fogey, stodgy Hall old of fame man no- who needs to get out. Sorry, but Hall of Fame is just strictly numbers. Yeah. But based on what Polian said, Eric Wood, you know who else would be? I said this at work today. You know who else would be a Hall of Famer? Based on Polian, because Jim Leonard, be, <laughs> Jim Leonard should be in the Hall of Fame. He was great in the locker room, team leader on the field, wasn't selfish. Oh, Jesus. So, in any event, you're looking at Eric Wood. He's a captain on our team. He has been for years. The guy is the heart and soul of that offensive line. I mean, he's a guy in the locker room who you, you, you can tell this team rallies around. He's a great guy. He's a decent football player, and he's athletic for a center. You know, they, last year, we, we were one of the few teams in football who utilized pulling centers. Most teams don't do that. Eric Wood's athletic enough that he can get out in space and block. He's already 30, and he probably only has another year or two left of high-level playing and before he starts to fall off. I'm, I guarantee you he wouldn't be averse to retiring a bill. So a no-brainer move here would be to extend Eric Wood's contract with a couple low-salary years and then restructure him as soon as it's signed to push some of this year's cap off into those extra years where you know you're going to keep him around until he retires. I mean, that seems fair, right? I would say so. I don't want to see Eric Wood play for another football team except the Bills. I mean, at the end of all of it, these three moves wouldn't drastically affect the players involved, given that a Wood, a, an Eric Wood contract extension at the end of the season was probably already going to happen. Now, unless something, you know, something really, really grievous happened to him between now and then. And the other two players aren't going to be moved on from anytime soon either. So you're talking about giving us a possible 15 to $17 million in additional cap space simply by moving some money around, you know, shifting some, shifting some things around in the books. That's literally all it is. That would be the only thing that changes. I mean, I feel like that's go- if you can pull that off, Sometime before the draft, before free agency really gets underway, if you can make these moves, 
That would free up enough cap room that we're not going to be handcuffed and that Doug Whaley isn't forced to just vet minimum his way towards finding a 53-man roster. I mean, I feel like that's what we did at the end of last year. And it, it paid some dividends. You know, you got some useful players out of that. I know Corey White was a guy who played a lot. Um, Lorenzo Alexander played a lot. And produced. He produced. You do find some diamonds in the rough, but ultimately you've also seen that you don't build a winning team that way. If you're just taking the minimum whoever's left bottom of the barrel on the second to last day of free agency. You just can't do it like that. And I think that these moves would help pave the way for us to have a more talented roster next year. If they're serious about still making a push, even with the coaching change. Folks, there are going to be a lot of things to keep an eye on, you know, bills related. There's going to be a lot of news coming out over the next couple weeks. But we're going to shift gears. Every week, every week we get together on this show, I do a ton of draft research. I know you guys probably don't have time to do it. You've I got, don't. You've got wives. You've got kids. You've got sports you play. You've Tinder, got, Bumble, Match, eHarmony. <laughs> you've all got interests and hobbies that maybe don't involve watching hours and hours of game film. Taking notes, critiquing things. No, Eric Turner, I'm not talking to you. (laughs) So, as always, here comes our 2007 pre-draft analysis. And this week, we decided that we're going to talk about the 4-3 linebacker position. Now, I didn't spend time this offseason looking at any outside linebackers in the draft. Rush, anyone listed as an edge player, rush linebacker, because our defense just isn't going to utilize players like that. It's a standard 4-3 defense, and there's really not a place for tweeners on the edge out there. There really isn't. So when you think about a 4-3 linebacker and you think about where we pick in the draft and what might be available there, we're going to start off with possibilities at number 10, and there's really only one. There's only one guy, and that's Reuben Foster out of Alabama. Now, pros, I'll start off by saying you can call me a homer, but fuck it. He's from Alabama, baby. Woo! Roll time. This guy, you've seen what that Alabama defense. Any of you, even if you're a casual college football fan, I'm sure you've witnessed a game in which Alabama's defense just throttled the other team's offense. Or scored a touchdown. Or scored a defensive touchdown at some point. We've seen what they do and how they've kind of ruled the NCAA landscape for a considerable amount of time. And at the center of it, after Reggie Ragland left as the leader of that defense, Foster stepped right in and made the seamless transition. I mean, he is a machine. He made plays against some of the best teams and best players in the country. He, I mean, he's a guy who does everything. He protects the pass. He, he plays well against the run. I mean, one of my favorite things about him, finesse and aggression. He's a perfect combination of it. He is the most violent tackler without question in this year's draft. He gets to a spot. He, he has good vision to line up a hit and see plays developing in front of him. And when he gets to a spot, he meets the other player with just authority. Good form tackling. He When he gets there, he likes to lean into guys. He likes to give the shoulder. He likes he, He's not just looking to wrap tackle you and take you to the ground. He's looking to take your head off. And he's got the speed to get there in a hurry. I mean, there, there was a play this past season where I can't remember the tight end. It was the tight end from Auburn. And he, I, I'm pretty sure he put the, 
The guy had him by probably about 50 pounds, and he just got laid out trying to come over the middle on just a shallow crossing route. I mean, he's he's an unbelievable player at that position. His footwork is good, and it just gives him this fluid northwest, east-south kind of movement. He can go anywhere at a moment's notice. You know, you always see him, he's springy. He's on the balls of his feet. So his athleticism can take him almost anywhere on the field when he needs to get there. He can cover a ton of space, and he is a true sideline-to-sideline linebacker. The I got to give I got to say, though, for cons, you know, I go by pros and cons here when I'm taking when I'm doing my own review. One of the things that I notice about him, I mean, I watch a ton of Alabama football. I noticed it last year. I noticed it this year is his vision. Okay, his vision. When you talk about seeing the play unfold in front of you, I would say it's average. And that for as many plays as he makes. If you really watch it, you'll watch him make a big player. You watch him make an average, you know, what looks like just an average run stop. Or it was a play action pass that he got out in coverage and, you know, he he had his man covered. But a lot of times if you watch enough tape, what you'll see is that he doesn't truly recognize what's happening in front of him. He's just such a good athlete that once he does notice it, he has the athletic ability to get to the right spot and cover up his man. Against lesser competition, that you might be able to get away with that. But that's something that could expose him to trouble at the NFL level because the guys move at a very different speed. That's like the one thing that college players always say coming out is this is just a way faster game. Yep. And that's exactly something that's probably going to expose him. Like I said, if I have a knock against him, that's it, is that I've watched him have slow eyes be slow to react, still make a play, but you can tell he wasn't prepared to go to where he needed to be. And that, that I don't know, that worries me. Then the fact that last season he didn't have the statistical season he had this year, that kind of came from him losing a ton of weight. You know, he cut a lot of weight coming into this season so he could be a more fluid athlete, so he could move a little bit quicker. The, the I guess my fear is, can he keep that weight off long term? Because if over the you know you draft him in the first round and for the first two years he's in great shape he's you know he's doing well he's fast. Let's say he gets injured. Let's say he just over time doesn't have the same discipline he had. <clears throat> he starts putting on weight. Now you're talking about a player who could slow down, and that combined with slow eyes could get him in a lot of trouble at the NFL level. I'm not going to say that that makes... I mean, he's still a top 10 draft pick. I will say that. He is absolutely... If he falls to the Buffalo Bills at number 10, I expect Whaley to break an ankle trying to sprint to the phone to make that call and get the pick in. I mean, the guy has been compared to... I've heard him compared to Patrick Willis, Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner. I will take that for a Bills linebacking group that hasn't had a true leader at that position for the defense since when we had Sam Cowart. I mean, do you remember Sam Cowart? Vaguely. The guy played linebacker with authority. I will I will argue that he and London Fletcher are probably the last two great Bills linebackers who you could look at as the leader of the defense. And that's how many years ago? Uh, I don't know. I probably couldn't legally drink then. <laughs> I mean, this guy will make plays as a will linebacker. 
He could play any position out there that you want him to play at, which is exactly what we need. We need a guy who can go out there, play weak side, play inside, play outside, play nickel, fly around the field both in coverage and against the run, and make plays for our defense. We need that. We need that playmaker, and this guy would give us that in spades. So if you consider the talent and the need, that pick is a no-brainer. So Hooker's gone. Adams is gone. Foster is there. If Foster is there at 10, I expect him to be the pick. If even if I will I will even go so far as to say that if somehow because I think that the only way he falls to us is if Jamal Adams, if Malik Hooker, if a handful of quarterbacks, maybe a wide receiver or two find their way into that top 10 mix, that could do enough to push a player like Foster down to us at that pick. Yeah, most most uh most cuz that's what it's going to take. Most mocks I've seen have him five to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. While that, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about Tennessee. They do have Mariota and they have no receivers. So I wouldn't. Why wouldn't you take if you're Tennessee somebody like Mike Williams or Corey Davis? Well, <laughs> to be honest, if I had to say, Chris, can you give me the bottle opener? I need a beverage. Well, we'll find it. It's over there on the counter. So I'm I'm getting thirsty over here, folks, but. Um, Eventually, what you come to realize is that it's all about value, and I think that us getting Foster at any point in this draft would be a coup. I mean, if he falls to 10, he's got to be our guy, just because of the value he represents in the position he plays. Now, as we did with our last breakdown, you know, the next category I look at, guys who might be there in the late first, second round, and third round. Who are some other linebackers who, if we decide to go in a different direction from that position, might still be able to come in and make an impact for us, given the fact that if we can't re-sign Zach Brown, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, if we can't get him back, we have a glaring need for another linebacker who has some speed, who has some athletic ability. So taking a look at the prospects throughout, you know, who are going to be coming into this combine, who went through the senior bowl process already, and just seeing who's out there. Couple names jumped out to me. First off, the, the, the guy I'd say late first round at at worst, Zach Cunningham, weak side linebacker and inside linebacker out of Vanderbilt. I mean, this guy he is a solid mix of power and speed at the linebacker position. He does his best work when he's got a straight line to the ball carrier in the run game. He just he gets behind the line of scrimmage so quickly. And he's just making plays all over the field. I mean, he he makes solid tackles. No one really gets away from him once he gets them wrapped up or he gets their hands on him. And he's played very well against some of the best running backs in the country. You're talking he this, just this past season, Nick Chubb, Elvin Kamara for well, Nick Chubb out of Georgia, Elvin Kamara out of Tennessee, and uh, DJ Petway from Auburn. Some better running, some of the better running backs in the SEC, and he played very well against those teams. He had big games. One of the other things I like about him, his coverage skills. He he plays a very physical downhill style of running of uh, linebacker, but he's not lost in coverage the way a lot of linebackers who play that type of game can be. I mean, you picture a guy who you think is a thumper in the run game. You think of Brandon Spikes. Brandon Spikes though can can be abused by tight ends, by wide receiver, you know, shallow wide receiver crosses in front of him in his own things of that nature. Whereas 
Zach Cunningham has the speed, and not only the speed, but just the awareness and pass coverage that he he understands those responsibilities. He he just plays really well in space from everything I saw. And he can follow the tight end up the seam. He can kind of take away those shallow underneath passes to wide receivers. He catches running backs coming out of the backfield on flares. He he just seems very sound at what he does. The only reason I think he slides to the bottom of the first round and doesn't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't like him at number 10 for the Buffalo Bills because I do like him as a prospect. I don't like him at 10, and here's why. First off, you're talking about height versus weight. I know some of this stuff, some of the measurables that they talk about for the combine, we all make fun of them. Hand size is something that we think is ludicrous. But the guy is six foot four, but only weighs 230 pounds. Most of his weight is in his upper body. Sounds a lot like Aaron Mabin. 230? <laughs> Get out of my draft he room. Is no, he is no Aaron Mabin. I, I will bet you my washer and dryer on that. All right. Yeah, how's that for a bet, Chris? Washer and dryer bet. Well, I got mine brand new with my divorce it's, money. It's, <laughs> instead of uh, betting pinks, instead of betting on pink slips, we're betting on our whites. Bang. <laughs> he carries most of his weight in his upper body. He's a very strong tackler when he can get his arms on people, but he has a hard time driving with his legs because he doesn't have that lower body strength. And He's got chicken legs? Kind of. If you look at the way he's His built, he's are- got smaller legs, and I, th- uh, you can see it on tape. When a blocker, when a guard gets to the second level and gets their hands on him, he has a hard time. Cre- if he sees the block coming, he engages well, and he can shed because he's got so much upper body strength. But <clears throat> when they talk, I'm sorry, I keep coughing in the microphone. When he gets, someone gets into him and they anchor on him, he can't create leverage to get off that block. And a lot of times he can get swallowed up. I mean, he makes a lot of flashy plays when you keep him clean. But if if you get into him, they can take him right out. He he can get washed right out of plays by angular blocks coming from guards, coming from tight ends, things of that nature. It's and it's it's a point of concern because if teams realize that at the, I mean, if you struggle like that against competition that may or may not be NFL caliber, what's going to happen to you at the next level? And he has a frame that looks like it might be kind of maxed out. You know, I don't, I don't think he can get any bigger than he currently is. So I, and maybe an NFL weight program might help him. It might make him a little bit stronger in the lower body. But there's no guarantee to that. And that in and of itself is something to think about. I mean, all in all, my overview on the players, you can't hate the guy who led the SEC in tackles. Okay, you, he played in the same conference that Reuben Foster did. This guy was the only playmaker on his team, and yet he found a way to not only just he kept his team single handedly in ball games. Yeah, but because let, Jay Cutler graduated fifteen <clears throat> years ago, but he also graduated. But he also finishes, like I said, the leading tackler in a very tough division that's known for its running back play. He makes a lot of flash plays. He's got an aggressive demeanor, and he plays the way you'd want. A downhill, like either an interior or maybe he has the speed to play outside, you know, an interior outside linebacker to play on. He's probably going to go later than 10, and I don't want the Bills to take him at 10. But in a tradeback scenario, or if he were to somehow slip into the second round, kind of like Reggie Ragland did, he's a guy I'd have a lot of interest in. Now, there's another player who was brought to my attention. He's not even a guy I did, I did a ton of review on myself. 
Raquan McMillan, inside linebacker from Ohio State. Our buddy Eric Turner over at um, CoverOne.net. The guy's been really boning up his scouting game. You know, he goes to scout school. He takes legitimate courses to learn how to scout. So I hadn't thought about Raquan McMillan really at all as a factor for the Bills. But then I read his article. And if you want to go over to CoverOne.net, you can find it there. It has a ton of great information about this player. So from what he saw in his film review, the guy is a very good, you know, against the run, he's actually one of the better run-stopping linebackers in this draft. Yeah, he, he's probably not going to find his way into, he could, if there's a run on linebackers, find his way into the first round. But more realistically, he's probably like an early second to mid-second round player. He plays very well against the run. He, under, he can sh- easily shed blocks. He hand fights very well. When he's coming downhill at the run play, he can diagnose it quickly. He gets off blocks and finds ways to make plays behind the line of scrimmage or around the line of scrimmage to stop rushing plays from even really developing. And in pass coverage, he, he gets his head around. You know, he, he's, a fl- he, he's not the most fluid athlete, which is one of the knocks on him that I think might limit him as far as his possibility of being a first-round draft pick. But in pass coverage, he's got awareness. And sometimes having enough awareness can get you over the hump when it comes to those physical limitations. And I think that's the type of player, you know, just reading his, you know, Eric's breakdown, it seems, you know, he, he's got film clips, he's got everything. If you want to find out, get the 411 on this guy, go to CoverOne.net and check out his overview of him. Is there a projection on him? I mean, my personal projection from what I've seen now that I've read his article and had some time to watch some of the film myself I just, I don't know. I think that he... Second, third? I, I think he goes... Eric Turner has him pegged for the middle of the second round. Me, personally, I think I would see him going a little bit higher in the second round. Especially if Reuben Foster and Zach Cunningham are both off the board. I could very much see a team taking a guy like uh, McMillan you know, kind of pretty early. You know, earlier than maybe he would normally go, given the lack of 4-3 linebacker. I don't want to say lack of talent in this draft, but the lack of depth here. Because it really does fall off a cliff pretty quickly. Where does the whole like core of the linebackers in the draft rank? Because last week, last two weeks ago, we did the cornerbacks in secondary, and that's by far the deepest. Well, this draft is very... It's got a lot of interesting prospects out on you know at linebacker. But a lot of them play outside linebacker. A lot of them play edge rusher or, you know, 3-4 outside linebacker. There's not a whole lot of guys that I like coming out of this draft to play 4-3 linebacker, which is why I think there's such an onus of the Bills to say, hey, if you can't land a guy in free agency, you almost have to kind of target one of these guys. you got to find somebody because you can't play a 4-3 defense without speed. Your linebackers are going to be uncovered because you've got those four down linemen who are, you know, you you would hope, able to eat up blocks. I mean, you remember when our 4-3 was at its best, right? It was because our defensive line could occupy five to six guys on the line of scrimmage just by just by themselves, leaving our linebackers clean to go out and make plays. Well, we need we need another linebacker to go out there and do that. So you got to find the right guy. You know, it's not about finding just a guy and plugging him in there because that you're asking for trouble. They got to find a guy, whether it's in free agency, whether it's in the draft, and find that other missing piece to our linebacker core. 
Now, here's a guy that I'm going to talk about. I have him graded as a third rounder. And ultimately, everyone keeps talking about him being a first round draft pick. And here's where I may actually, you know, my opinion might differ from a lot of you out there listening to this podcast right now. Hassan Reddick, inside linebacker from Temple. I mean, here's his senior bowl interview from NFL Network. I'm most comfortable that uh, outside linebacker, but being out here playing inside linebacker, you know, I've it's becoming easier every day. I come out here and get more reps, and I can see it more. You know, uh, uh, I'm getting better, so I think I could fit anywhere. You know, outside linebacker or inside linebacker, I'm willing to take both challenges and um, prove that I could play either one. So that's him talking about his transition, and he's going to have to make one. I mean, th- you're talking about a player who you look at him on paper. I mean, you look at the positives for the guy. Hassan Reddick is a fluid athlete in all facets of the game of football. He he moves well. He's got good hips. He's got he's got a you know a very I mean an extremely quick first step. It's incredible how f- his get off. You know there's a, there's a video on YouTube if you're interested. Go check it out. It's literally our new defensive line coach Mike Waffle talking about get off and the science behind it and why it's so important to defensive linemen. Hassan Reddick has it. Okay, he, he just gets it. He fires off the line. And that's what he owes a lot of his success to. And, you know, he he just has that speed and he can get behind the line of scrimmage so quickly that a lot of tackles can't deal with that type of speed. And he's got production. Last season, he led his team over there at Temple with 10 and a half sacks. And he was third in the country with 22 and a half tackles for loss. That's an impressive statistic, Right. Sure. I don't know. It's Temple. I don't see them. <laughs> so then you I'm get stuck to work. watching SEC with you. But now, like you heard him talk about in his interview, he was talking about learning more and getting comfortable with new fits. At Temple, Hassan Reddick was utilized near the line of scrimmage, kind of like a Bruce Irvin type outside linebacker. But you take a look at the guy's size. He's six foot two. 237 pounds. That sounds like Aaron Maven. <laughs> You're not going to line up with NFL offensive tackles at six foot two and 237 pounds as an outside linebacker. You're just not going to do it. You d- you don't have you don't have the physicality against these larger, faster players at this level to get away with the same stuff he did in college. You can't just rely on speed, which means he's going to have to play off the ball more. Which, while it seems like he has the athleticism for it, he has almost no experience doing it. Meaning that any team that drafts this guy is going to do it knowing that he's going to literally be learning on the job how to play NFL football. Which, I, how do you gamble a first-round pick on that? No, I, I read like, these things about him, and I think people are crazy. He's rocketing up people's boards. It's bullshit. I think it's horseshit. I think some team is about to get Aaron Mabin. Good. Let that be New England. <laughs> and I think the other thing that I, I don't like about him is that he played against really subpar talent. Temple's a D1 school. Don't get me wrong. I know that the it's not like he's coming from the you know FCS. You know he's not uh, he's not at Ball State. <laughs> he's not coming out of nowhere. But they're in the American Athletic Conference. The most competitive teams were Houston and Navy. Did anyone see them playing from any premier, uh, premier bowl games? No? Bueller? Any, no? Okay. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. And six of the teams in his conference had winning records, 
but the overall winning percentage of the conference is just 53% if you average it all out. And there was four teams that finished with a 1-7 conference record. Four teams that had one conference win. You're not talking about, I mean, you're talking about Tulane. You're talking about UCF. Teams that just, who? What? You just said Tulane. That's J.P. Lossman. I just he didn't play against I mean he put up some impressive statistics but he didn't play against a ton of NFL caliber talent. So it's hard to really grade how dynamic he's going to be at the NFL level especially given his size limitations. He strikes me as an interesting project player at the end of the day, but I'm not going to buy into any of this hype that people are selling about him being a first round pick. I'm just not. You can't convince me of it. I think he is the definition of a tweener and that despite all of these traits you know, all these athletic abilities that he has that people think might translate to him being a 4-3 outside linebacker, and I probably wanted to beat in Crow for this, I wouldn't touch him before the third round. Sorry, that's just where I grade him. And then, as always, you got to throw a couple sleeper picks in there. Guys who are probably not, for one reason or another, on anyone's radar as premier draft picks. <clears throat> Two guys I like coming out of college based on just games I watched... Riley Bulla is the first one from Michigan State. The guy is just an intense player. He was the heart and soul of that Michigan State defense this past season. He led the team in tackles. He's got a high level of productivity in a, in a decent conference. His frame just, he needs a little more weight, which you can do at the NFL level. I mean, he's, he's an undersized for the linebacker, but he's got a great motor He can play well in space. He can play well against the run. And I think that he could be a phenomenal depth option somewhere in the 5th, 6th, 7th round range for some team out there that's looking for a 4-3, maybe inside-outside linebacker. You know, someone that can play great special teams for you and someone who, if in a pinch, can come in and start for you. And you won't see a gigantic drop-off in play. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but just... I like the way he played in big games, and I watched enough of his tape that I'd be comfortable with us drafting him late. And then there's the ultimate wild card at this position in this draft, and that's Alex Anzalone. He could end up being a steal for whoever has the balls to draft him first. You know, it's, 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 with this guy, I feel like it's like a Mexican standoff between all these 4-3 defenses. They're all just way, Nobody wants to be the first guy to draw and pull the trigger on him. But you don't know how long you have to wait until someone else beats you to it. Kind of like Dak Prescott. <clears throat> we were four picks away. <laughs> we're always four <laughs> picks away. Alex Anzalone has the size and speed to be a three-down linebacker at the NFL level. I think the only thing holding him back is the fact that his injury history is massive. He's missed giant chunks of almost every season that he's played in college with just some injury. Which, as a Bills fan who's just used to seeing this type of crap, you should be the biggest red flag in the entire world. I think that that in and of itself is going to push him down people's draft boards. But if he can stay healthy and on the field, he could go on to have a very productive career as a starting linebacker in the NFL. Where's he getting projected? Six, seven, undrafted? It's, it's a crapshoot. It depends on who you follow. Some people have him pegged in the fourth. Some people say he's untouchable until the sixth because of his injuries. At the end of the day, the guy he's he's a violent tackler, and I think it's what leads to a lot of his a lot of his injuries. But he's got the size, he's got speed, he plays well in coverage, he could do a lot of nice things for you. But you need him to be on the field. And ultimately that's what matters. Right? 
Yeah, we need people on the field. We can't have A.J. Tarpley or Tony Stewart playing linebacker at all. No, we can't run it. We can't have any more of that. So it's <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see how the Bills choose to address the linebacker position because there's really not a ton of guys that I would peg for our team I'd be willing to spend draft capital on in this year's draft. I mean, I just touched on every guy that interests me. There's a bunch out there that I couldn't be bothered with, that I just I couldn't see us really being able to utilize the way we need them. And that, folks, brings us to the free agency portion of this podcast. This is the, the Rockpile Report's 2017 free agency primer. Now, a lot of stuff has been going on. I'm sure anyone who you know, checks, if, if you read ESPN, Pro Football Focus, if you, if you like Pro Football Focus, Pro Football Talk, if you're following any of this stuff, there is almost by the day, there's just stories happening around the clock as far as NFL free agency. And it hasn't even really started yet. No, what is it? A week away? Two weeks? I believe it's next week. Next week, free agency. Or no, wait, wait, wait. Is it March 11th? This is how, sounds like this is how busy I've been with the draft. NFL two weeks. free agency. Two weeks. Why would it start on a Saturday? Because they want all that media coverage to drive that they're not normally getting between Monday through Friday. That's a smart idea. That's a great idea. So, I'm taking a look at the Bills as it comes to free agency. And we're going to talk about it a little bit here. First and foremost, you got to start with keeping your own players. Let's take a, That's so, the same thing we've been doing the last so, two years. So we're going to take a look at the Bills impending free agents. We've got a shitload of them. We have more than enough to talk about. Our own, our own free agents right now. The most important of which, I think, starts off with Mike Gillisley. James Wilder Jr. Mike Gillisley, I, I'll be honest. I would like to see the team tender him with a second. Uh, I'd like to see James Wilder Jr. up in this piece. I would like to see a second round tender placed on Mike Gillisley, two point five million dollars in compensation for one year, and if someone tries to take him, we get a second round pick. I think that the price would scare most teams off, and at the same time, the salary isn't huge. And it would give us time to work out a longer deal with him. Yeah. That $2.5 million cap hit could be restructured into a different deal if he were to sign an extension with us. You know, we could roll it off into a year where we have more cap space. I mean, the things I like about Mike Gillesley and the reason I think we should first, he's the guy on my list, is number one, he's familiar with the personnel around him. From a running back perspective, that's important because you got to know your offensive lineman. Even if it's a new scheme, you have to know the guys in front of you. He's got solid metrics last season playing in a run-heavy scheme, even though he didn't get that much utilization. And his one-cut style of running, that north-south style that he runs with, would mesh really well with this zone-blocking scheme that Dennison's going to bring in there. Now, ultimately, I think, I think Gillesley's a guy that we have to retain, especially when you consider that, yes, LaShawn McCoy is still one of the most electric running backs in football, but he's also 30. Nothing good happens to a running back after 30. Never. <laughs> it's, it's just, you, you maybe stay the same, you rarely get better. So if something were to happen, we at least would know that we have an experienced backup who has proven he can produce at the NFL level. Next on the list, Justin Hunter. Now, I'm looking at a guy like Justin Hunter, and here's what I think. 
Yes. Cartwheels? He struggled with drops in practice, according to all of our local sources, which has been the story of Justin Hunter's career. But he made a lot of flash plays in the limited amount of time that he was able to work with our offense. You, know, you come in midseason, you don't know anybody. You only get a couple practices a week. You don't, You didn't get training camp to build chemistry. You didn't do any of that. And I think he finished with what? Was it two touchdowns or three touchdowns? I don't know. You did a cartwheel. That's all that matters to me. <laughs> he made a bunch of flashy catches, including that touchdown in that Jaguars game. That that touchdown was big. He climbed the ladder and went up and got that football. Oh, yeah. A tall receiver in the red zone. Yep. Throw it up here. Go get it. Yep. Mm. Yeah, we don't utilize that enough. I mean, that's the thing. He has size that you just can't teach. Now, his speed isn't world class. But Dennison's scheme thrives on these route combinations that are going to work to create open throwing lanes. You know, it's, it's their combo routes that are meant to complement each other, <clears throat> especially off bootlegs and rollouts and things, things like that that are going to get open opportunities for some of these guys. And with a guy his size, he's a matchup nightmare if he just can find a way to get better hands. I don't, I don't know what it is about him, why he wasn't utilized more. I just know that he strikes me as a guy who at least deserves a chance to come here into training camp. Maybe a one-year deal, one to $1.3 million. You know, nothing huge. You're not going to break the bank on the guy. And he's looking for a one-year deal because if he can go out there and play well, he could potentially play himself into a better contract. A la Zach Brown. <clears throat> right? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Never wrong. Next on my list, and this one's kind of a question mark, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes. Jordan Mills, right tackle. I'm looking at him. If if you're going to bring him back, it's only going to be on a one- to two-year deal. I mean, think about what Jordan Mills is. He's not a world beater in the realm of pass protection. I mean, that guy got his ass kicked by Cameron Wake. Do you remember that Dolphins game where he was basically a turnstile? Which one? Both of them. He, he was just a turnstile for Cameron Wake for most of the game. He struggles with speed. That's the thing that gets him. You watch him, his mechanics aren't very good. So when a, you know, a power rusher comes at him, he can body up with that guy and he can kind of hold his own for a while. But if you're a guy who has speed and a little bit of power, he struggles like crazy. Now, I'm, no, I'm the, no chemist, but when you say struggles with somebody with speed... I would think then Jordan Mills has shitty footwork. Yeah. Yeah, his mechanics just aren't very good. <clears throat> and given our heavy... And here's the other thing that concerns me about Jordan Mills. He was okay in the rushing game because of the... I think because of the scheme that we were running. We used a lot of pin and pull rushing. And we had a lot of centers and guards pulling to the outside of the offense. You know, we would use them to steal the outside and create a running lane for the running back to kind of flow over. In this zone blocking scheme, he's going to be relied on to set the edge in the running game. And I don't know that I trust him to do it. I don't know that I can trust Jordan Mills to set the edge in the running game in a zone blocking scheme consistently enough to spend a ton of money on this guy. I think the thing that hurts us here with Jordan Mills is that this draft isn't a good one for tackle talent. There's really not a ton of... There ain't nobody good outside of Kane Robinson. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll be honest. Cam Robinson's a he's a decent prospect. I expect him if he gets drafted by a team in the first round. I expect Cam Robinson to get the um, right pine. No, who's the guy for the Dolphins? Uh, the bong Mario smoker. Williams. The bong smoker. 
Laramie Tunsil. Oh, yeah. I expect him to get the Laramie Tunsil treatment out of the gate because I don't know if he is a blue chip day one starter. He could be, but I don't know. And so that... that should tell you everything you need to know about this tackle class. He's they're they're not it's not deep and it's not top heavy either. It's just there's there's not a ton of talent there, which is going to artificially inflate the cost of the free agent market. So that's going to be one of the storylines to watch going into free agency is what is Jordan Mills what does he think he's worth? What are the contract demands of right tackles around the league going to be with their agents knowing that this year for teams that desperately need to find a right tackle they're, they're going to have to pay for it, more so than in previous years, for the same level of talent. Another free agent that I've had my eye on, Ryan Groy. Okay, I know there's a ton of them that we could talk about, but here's what I want to talk about bringing back. Ryan Groy, he played guard, backup guard, backup center for us, and he filled in for Wood when he went out on IR, and he, I mean, we didn't see a noticeable decline in production. Groy played really well. I was impressed. He has the ability to move well in space. I mean, there was plays. I remember Brandon Tate in a game taking an end around and Ryan Groy blocking for him because he was able to get out on the edge of the offense and get down the field. I think that our zone blocking scheme, given his athleticism, could re- he could end up being really useful as the interior backup on our offense. And I think that that's important because, as we know, Bill's players are prone to injury. It's like you put the uniform on and you all of a sudden just become a piece of glass. So having a guy with that type of, I don't know, with that type of makeup, with that level of skill, and you know, at this point in his career, I feel like it's a no-brainer to try to keep Ryan Groy here in town, either on a one- or two-year deal. Because who knows, maybe, maybe he shows up and plays well this year. He solves our Eric Wood issue for us. I'm not going to bank on that, but maybe. Maybe that's a thing that happens. I don't know. I can't really tell you. Then there's this category of players that, I'm sorry to say it, but I don't see the Bills being able to retain. There's a group of players here that we are most likely going to get outpriced for. Now, all these figures from from a salary perspective, as far as estimations, are coming from SportTrack.com. I'm going to start off with Lorenzo Alexander. Right now, they're estimating that he's going to get an annual salary of approximately $6.5 million per year. $6.5 million. He's 34. For a 33-year-old defensive end who hasn't had a standout year before in his entire career until last season when he played in a scheme that we are no longer running. I'm sorry, but if that is his actual asking price, I just don't see him being retained by the Bills. I just don't see them spending their free agency dollars there. I mean, I'm, I'm reading Pro Football Talk right now, and Lorenzo Alexander's agent is scheduled to meet with the Bills this weekend. That meeting, I think, is to set their expectation, because I think that if Lorenzo Alexander comes in here and tells the Bills he wants five and a half to six million, I almost feel like if I'm Doug Whaley, I just close. I don't even tell them I'm leaving. I just close up all of my paperwork in front of me and just casually walk out of the room. And I let them sit there for about 15 minutes before they realize I'm not coming back. <laughs> it seems about wasn't he like the he was the replacement for Raglan, right? No, he or was he was Shaq just, Lawson. Yeah, he, Shaq. He was he was covering for Shaq and he played very well. But that was as an outside linebacker in a three four defense. 
there, we don't have a place for a guy like that right now. I mean, maybe he can play 4-3-D end, but I don't know that. Maybe he can play special teams, but <laughs> well, not at that price. But not at $6 million. Then you look at Robert Woods. Robert Woods is... <laughs> Robert Woods is one of those cases. You look at like what what happened with Mohamed Sanu last year. I didn't think Sanu was worth the money he got from the Falcons. So now you look at Robert Woods, and it's being projected that his next contract is going to be $8 million a year for four years. Nope. The guy hasn't caught more than 700 yards worth of passes. Hasn't done it. He's a great run blocker. Don't do not get me wrong. He's he's a by all accounts he's a great teammate, and I've watched him be a great run blocker for this offense. But if you can't catch me more than five touchdowns a year, and you can't get more than seven hundred yards, yes, I understand our quarterback play has done has played a role in that. But if but I just can't pay you eight million. I can't pay you a million dollars for every hundred yard receiving game you have. Or every hundred yards receiving you get over the season, I pay you a million dollars. I can't do that. You just can't afford to do it. So, unfortunately, I do not see Robert Woods playing in a Bills uniform ever again. Next on the chopping block, Stephon Gilmore. I keep saying chopping block. I don't know why, Chris. Do you know? No, but Gilmore is... We just saw it before uh, we started recording. It came up that he probably won't be tendered. You have the article up still? Yep, I'm looking at it right now. According to Zach Johnson of Pro Football Talk, there is no chance that the Bills will use the franchise tag on Stephon Gilmore between now and the start of free agency. It's just not going to happen. And I don't blame him. I mean, you take a look around. It's what? It's $15 million for the tag? He's expected, yeah, the, the tag is $15 million. He's expected, okay, according to SportTrack, their estimation of his next contract is going to be $14.8 million per year for five years. I, every list, you know, you Google his name right now. You know where he's showing up most often? Lists by Fox Sports, ESPN, and Pro Football Focus as players that will be overpaid this year in free agency. So you know what? Let's not be that football team. In a draft that's so deep, you know, we talked about it last last show with Connor Rogers. In a draft that's almost historically deep with cornerback talent, you could probably, we'll go draft a guy. You could probably find a Gilmore talent level in round three. I don't know about that, but what I'll say is no, I, no. But I think at the top end of this draft, if you were decide to say, if you were to go in there and decide that you know what Trade I want to, I want to address the linebacker position and the cornerback position in this draft in the first two rounds. You could do it and come away with two legitimate starters. Off the bus starters? Off the bus starters. One of Doug Whaley's famous quotes. Off the bus starters. You know, whether it's a safety, whether it's a cornerback, you could address your defense with the top two picks and get two day one starters. So to go out and spend that type of money on a guy like Stephon Gilmore, whose play has been inconsistent. I mean, yes, he's a very, he's a talented player when he's locked in. He's not a $15 million player. I just... I. Some team out there will see him as the answer and will give him that money. I mean, it's already been rumored that New England's going to pull the trigger on him, which would just disgust me to no end. But ultimately, we can't afford to pay him that money. We just can't. And then Zach Brown. Zach Brown, my, you know, just lightning rod, <clears throat> my call last offseason that I wanted Zach Brown because I knew he could be a productive player for a football team. Well, it turns out he did. 
He showed up and he played his balls off. He played so well that now he's he's on pace to get a four and a half million dollar contract. There is a deal that I don't think is cost prohibitive for Buffalo. If they can find a way to keep Zach Brown here on a deal that pays four and a half million, I say four to four and a half. Four and a half would be my ceiling. I would not begrudge the Bills for for keeping him around. I mean, he's he showed last year he's a good player. He's good for the locker room. He has his teammates back. You heard his comments after the New England game when he found out about the fight. He was like, damn, y'all boys couldn't wait till I was out the tunnel. <laughs> you got you to get it started without me? What the hell? That's the type of guy I want in my locker room. So it's just what can we get done with the contract? Can we find a way to make it feasible for us? Well, does he fit with McDermott's system? I think he does. I mean, he played for he played very well in Tennessee when they were running a 4-3 defense. So I feel like he could come in here and do the same for us. And I think the thing that he has, I mean, last year they were talking about how Preston Brown, Zach Brown, and Reggie Ragland, they only had spots to play two of those types of linebackers at one time. And it was a real struggle for the coaching staff to try to decide who were going to be the two starters. Well, now you could have an opportunity to play all three of them. I mean, and then you could take a gamble maybe later in the draft on a guy or kick that can down the road and figure out, you know, maybe draft another top-tier linebacker in a year or two. <clears throat> I mean, ultimately, if you can't get a guy, if you don't think that you can get a guy like a Foster or a Cunningham in this year's draft, you cannot go into next season on defense with two linebackers and someone off the scrap heap because that guy will get exposed. I mean, that's the that's that's... It's one of the downfalls of the 4-3 defense. You need three solid linebackers to play it. So I think that I can make a case for keeping Zach Brown, but if his salary goes over $4.5 million, I can't touch him. And that's why you heard in her open, Mike Garofolo, talking about a possible outside-the-box free agent. Oh, absolutely. So if we're going to talk about guys from outside of the organization who might be able to make a difference for this team, that makes sense for the Buffalo Bills and free agency. Now, I'm not going to talk about every single player out there because there's too much of that. I've watched some tape. I've done my research. And here are the guys that I think fit the Buffalo Bills and could do well for us. Starting with A.J. Klein. You know, I mean, you take a look at who he is. He was drafted in 2013 by Carolina. He replaced Luke Keekley last year when he went out with a concussion. And he played well. I mean, the guy played well with that limited time as a starter. And now he's announced that given the experience he had, it's been, he's been advised by his agent. You know, I'm a, he says it's for him, and maybe it is, but I'm pretty sure his agent pulled him aside and said, look, man, you played well enough that you can go get paid somewhere. Maybe not a shitload of money, but you can get paid somewhere. In Buffalo, because we got McDermott. <clears throat> so, as I always do, I look at pros and cons. I'm, I'm a list guy. I like, to, I like to line everything up and take a look at it and then make a decision. When I'm looking at A.J. Klein... I look at him, he's a standout special teams player, much like Lorenzo Alexander, you know? So if we're losing a guy like Lorenzo Alexander, it would make sense to bring in another guy who could play special teams at a very high level. He's instinctive against the run and tackles really well. And he's versatile. He can play all three linebacker positions in some capacity. The only thing that you would knock this guy for, and the reason why I think his his asking price may not be as high as even Zach Brown's, is that he's not the most fluid linebacker in pass coverage. 
I mean, by the end of the season, he got replaced in all of the nickel packages that the Carolina Panthers were running by Shaq, by, by Shaq Thompson, who was their first-round draft pick. So you would assume that a first-round draft pick would have a higher talent level or a higher ceiling than a guy like A.J. Klein. But I also feel like that storyline is going to get way too much play. If I drafted a player in the first round and my team is not making the playoffs, I'm going to put my first rounder out there as often as I can and let him get some experience. See what I got with the kid. I feel like that's kind of what happened to Klein out there in Carolina. The The other thing that I notice about him is that his recovery speed, when he's you know kind of tracking receivers, he's average, which means he can be exposed by things like play action and <clears throat> you know, play action passing and stuff like that, he he will be susceptible to. But that's the nature of who he is and the fact that he's a young player. He's only been in the league for three years. Maybe that's something that you can coach out of him over time. I don't know. I just think that for what I think he'll cost, I don't see him getting a, a high-dollar contract. So A.J. Klein could be a very good player for the Buffalo Bills to look at. Do you think he's got his eyes on Buffalo? I don't know why he wouldn't. I mean, he's familiar with the scheme that's going to be run here. He's familiar with the coach, you know, slash defensive coordinator kind of. He, he's familiar with the head coach who's going to be a very defensive-minded head coach. So I feel like he could trust that he would get those starters opportunities if he were to come here and sign with his old head coach, with his old um, coordinator. I mean, you can agree with at least that logic, right? I'll agree with anything you say about X's and, <laughs> and O's of football. And then the other guy I've kind of had my eyes on for the Buffalo Bills is DJ Swearinger. He was strong safety from the Arizona Cardinals. <clears throat> Last season, he played on a one-year, $1.6 million prove-it deal. And by all accounts, he played well for the Cardinals. But the reason that that one-year deal was necessary is because he's been a monster liability in pass coverage for basically his entire career. He was a second-round draft pick who did not pan out at all. Houston labeled him a bust and just sent him away for nothing because they, they just gave up on the guy. And it didn't look like he'd ever shake that until this past season. So now, you know, he could very well, much like Lorenzo Alexander and Zach Brown, be a player that you can get on a relatively cheap contract who can come in and produce at a high level at a position of need for your team, especially on a short-term deal. I mean, I like what he brings to the table. He's physical in the box against the run and against passers, you know, tight ends up the seam, you know, wide receivers coming over the middle. He's a big hitter. You know, wide receivers know where he is when he's out there on the field. And he communicates really well with the linebackers in the box there. The things that you got to look at against him, he doesn't have top-end speed, which is why he fell out of the first round in the first place. And you look at what he's done over his career, and he really, up until last year, had really nothing as far as deep passing coverage skill. He just didn't have it. And he cheats when he's beaten, which leads to him drawing flags, which just makes that problem worse because then quarterbacks are more likely to go after him broken plays if i don't think i got anything i'm still gonna huck it up against swearinger because maybe he cheats and i get a you know aaron Rodgers is the king of that ah that guy's the the guy eh, i'm gonna throw it up there anyway and see if maybe i can get a pi call tom brady does it aaron Rodgers does it ben roethlisberger does it it's he's the type of guy who can be victimized by that and then the fact that he's only kind of a one-year wonder when you think about him being a productive player in the NFL, you have to be afraid that he can't keep that up. 
And I think that is what's going to keep his salary demands kind of low. I could see him, if he goes for any more than $4 million, I'll be shocked per year. So if we could get him on a two to two and a half to $3 million a year deal for two years even, just to say, hey, come in here, play for two years, and then we'll see where you're at. Maybe you play yourself into a big payday. You know, maybe you, I, I don't know. Or maybe he's, he thinks that this is his payday. It's going to depend on what the market for him is. But I think that if he can, if his salary demands are reasonable, he's a guy the Bills should look at if they make some, F, like the moves I talked about earlier, to free up some cap space. I think based on the fact that he's a safety and McDermott's work with safeties in Carolina and Philadelphia, yeah. maybe he might be able to get the most out of Swearinger that other coaches haven't. And then I've got some honorable mentions. Like I said, all these picks are on the defensive side of the ball so far. Honorable mentions for free agency. A guy named Bradley McDougal, free safety out of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a durable guy. He's got 31 consecutive starts at free safety. He's got 80, more than 80 tackles in each of his last two seasons. He's not a world beater in coverage, but he's athletic and can cover well, occasionally gets a turnover here or there. I think that's the one knock against him. That and the fact that the Buccaneers were 22nd in the league against the pass last year. So I could see the team deciding that they don't want to keep him around because they're going to wholesale change because this draft is so deep in defensive back talent. I could see him being an odd man out. He could come to us relatively cheap. And the other guy, I think of Lorenzo Alexander when I think of this guy, Trent Cole. Isn't he old as shit? Oh, he's old as hell. He's an aging vet who openly blames the defensive scheme of the Colts for limiting his production. He said that they weren't aggressive enough and didn't allow him to just go after quarterbacks and running backs. Are you kidding me? I blame Ryan Grigson on everything, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, My I, divorce? <laughs> Grigson, it's your fault. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he's a guy who you could get on a vet minimum contract. Because I, mean, I don't know how many other teams are chomping at the bit to add Trent Cole to the roster. But he's played in this league a long time and been productive, and I think a guy like Shaq Lawson could really learn a lot when it comes to playing 4-3 defensive end from a guy like Trent Cole. So if you could go out and get him on a vet minimum or maybe slightly more than that, a one, maybe two-year deal, hopefully a one-year deal, just to get him in-house, give him a job, and let Shaq Lawson learn from him, I feel like that would be worth the value of the contract. Plus, you're talking about a defensive end position that we really don't have a ton of depth for right now. I mean, you look at all the outside, all the defensive ends we, that came out of came on our, on our team last year. They're all glorified outside linebackers. We don't have any true four three defensive ends besides Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson. That's it. That's what we got. So a guy like him could be in the mix. And like I said, Shaq Lawson could learn from that veteran presence, kind of teaching him how to how to be an NFL caliber defensive end. And now to the offensive side of the ball. <clears throat> Jesus, I'm really losing my voice. Guys, I, I apologize. I'm coming down with something here, but I'm trying to power through this with the uh, the miracle drug that is alcohol. It's AIDS. Drew's getting AIDS. Uh, let me just uh, sip this beverage here. It's either AIDS or HPV. Oh, God. I'd rather have the AIDS, to be honest with you. Woo! All right. The first guy on my offensive, you know, if I'm, if I'm on my shopping list, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, who do I want out of free agency on the offensive side of the football? Two names that I've kind of picked out as guys that I think I'd, I'd like the Bills to target. The first guy is Austin Pastor, right tackle and guard from the Cleveland Browns. And before you say, yeah, I know, you're picking a guy from the Browns. 
he would represent something of an upgrade over Jordan Mills, I think, given the fact that he plays so well in space. And he has a knack for setting the edge in the running game. Something that Jordan Mills can't do and didn't have to do all that often last year. I'm just thinking, uh, you just said his name was Pastor. So I'm thinking something with how many churches we got around here in Buffalo. There could be some kind of sweet t-shirt I don't know, I made think, if he plays well. I mean, look, That's what I'm looking for. I, I look at Pastor and this is what I see. I, I see a player who has 43 starts between guard and right tackle. So he's got, he's got NFL experience. But he's young. He's 26 years old. He's solid in the run blocking department and seems to specifically fit our zone blocking scheme. The only thing I wouldn't like about signing him to a contract is that he's going to be looking for something in the way of two to three, maybe even four years. And when you look at the level of talent he brings to the table, he's more of a stopgap than a true answer for the right tackle position, or at least from my perspective. I don't know. He could come here and have just a, a career revival. I don't know. But because of the weak right tackle market, he might actually get overpaid, just like Jordan Mills might get overpaid. So I think what this is going to come down to is it's going to be on Jordan Mills and the rest of the right tackles in the market to kind of set themselves, see what they think their salary demand should be, who's willing to pay what. And then at that point, we can sit down and have a serious conversation with a handful of these guys, say, who wants to come in here and be our right tackle? Because last year, what we got out of Mills just wasn't good enough. But it might be the best we can do. So if Pastor is cheaper than Mills, I don't see why we wouldn't take him. The other guy is Cordero Patterson. No. <laughs> see? He's a polarizing player. Nope. I'm good. He hasn't lived up to his draft status. I get that. He was a first-round pick. But he is an amazing athlete. No. He's still learning the nuances of the wide receiver position. And he's one of the and he is arguably the NFL's best kick returner. Yeah, no, I don't want him. Okay, Chris, so why don't you articulate for me why you don't want him? He just sounds like <laughs> Percy Harvin. Okay. 2.0. Okay, but he's six foot two, two 213 pounds. He he flies. He's got a ton of speed and athleticism. Doesn't he have some kind of some injury <clears throat> history? He missed one season, I think, with a broken leg. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Well, here's what I like about Cordero Patterson. He caught 73% of the passes that got thrown to him last season. Okay, that's guess, cool. Guess who didn't do that? Percy Harvin. Okay, well, he's what a, are the chances that Tyrod throws he's to a, him? He, well, he's a two-time Pro Bowler as a return specialist, which is something that the Bills struggled with last season. Our special teams were ranked close to bottom in the league. Because our, who was our returners? Reggie Bush? I mean, I think we cycled through four or five different guys. Brandon Tate? Like, we had different guys at all points of the season being a kick returner, punt returner. This guy would represent a player who could answer a lot of those issues. We both know that the reason our special teams was garbage is because Reed was on the practice squad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Literally, I, I mean, I mean, I get why you don't like him. He's a wide receiver who was drafted in the first round. Who he's all speed. He didn't put up monster numbers, but he's got the size to do it. It's not even like he has bad hands. It's just that he was very much underutilized for the first the first year of the first year he was on the Vikings team. They actively tried to get him the ball, and he was extremely raw as a wide receiver. But everyone knew that about him coming out of the draft. I feel like after that first down year, they shied away from him, and then. 
by last year, I mean, he saw passes. He caught a lot of what they threw to him. But that was because they finally started designing plays to get him the ball, like crosses. And like, oh, we're going to make a play to get him in space and let him use his run after the catch ability. And you saw a, a distinct ramping up of his statistics as soon as they, they, they started scheming to get him the ball. Okay, so like screen passes or right. slants. Slants, screen passes, things All like right, that. We nature. don't do either of those plays. So. We're also rolling out a completely new playbook that I, I think will play to that. I don't know if Taylor, Tyrod Taylor can read that. Well, here's what I'll tell you, Chris. You defer to me on most things. Trust me when I say that I think Cordell Patterson, even if he was a mediocre wide receiver, was our number three and never accomplished anything world-beating, but came here and brought the same kick return and punt return abilities that he gave to the Vikings, that contract, as long as he's not getting paid more than $4 million a year, I think it's a steal. All right, here we go. If we if we sign him, mm-hmm. we signed... Cordero Patterson will timestamp this. For every return touchdown he gets next next season, mm-hmm. I'll, that podcast, I'll drink nothing but Seagram's. Oh, I will take that bet. Woo! You all heard it here. Chris is drinking Seagram's, baby. And then, we got to sign him first. <laughs> and then for honorable mentions, I've got a handful of guys. Got three of them. Marcus Wheaton. You know, I'm not going to go in depth on Marcus Wheaton. He's a guy who missed most of last season. He got hurt. You know, he's not a big guy. He's only 5'11, maybe 190 pounds. Was he in Weed? No, no. He, was that, he wasn't Weed? No, he smashed his shoulder okay. in the preseason. He tried to, he was active for every single game. Like, he was active every week. They never, I shouldn't say that. He wasn't active every week. He never got put on the IR, but after week three, he just didn't play because he was just hurt too badly to get on the field. So I don't know what that was all about, but what I do know about him is that he's got speed. He's 26. He's hitting his prime. He's got good hands. And we have really no talent at the wide receiver position. He's a guy that I think because of his injury last year, his price might be driven down a little bit. And again, he might find himself because I feel like the Bills wheelhouse right now for if we're going to make any, I think the ceiling for our signings in free agency is going to be right around the four to five million dollar per player mark. I think that's the most we can contribute to any one free agent signing, max. So if we if Marcus Wheaton were to find his way down to the three and a half to four million dollar a year mark or on a two year or three year deal, I wouldn't hate the hate the Bills going out and getting him. I mean, he could be he, he was a very useful player in college. He's he's got he's got deep speed, but he's got better hands than any of the speed guys we've had recently. Yeah, we're going to have to get some on in draft or in free agency because we only yeah. have like we only have a couple, th- two or three receivers signed. And then the next two guys kind of follow a similar theme, and I think that you know it's something that the Bills really need to think about. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't happen. Greg Zerline, kicker from the L.A. Rams. We all know that our special teams suffered last year from just Dan Carpenter's lack of accuracy when it comes to the kicking game. How many games did you watch him miss? I mean, I get it. The extra point seemed to really get in his head. He he was very vocal about his displeasure of it when they first rolled it out. And he struggled with it ever since it came along. But last year, his overall kicking struggled. You know, Dan Carpenter really was not, I think he regressed. You know, we signed him from Miami and he had a kind of like a screw you Miami. Fuck you guys. I'm going to come out here and kick my ass off. And he did that for his first season. And I think a lot of fans got enamored with him. But he's struggled since then. 
and it's not good. You can't have a kicker who, who who's just he doesn't have the power. He he doesn't have the power that he used to anymore. And now his accuracy is starting to go. I wouldn't be surprised if we if we got rid of him or uh, brought in some comp for uh, camp. Well, and this is exactly why I think signing a guy like Greg Zerline. I mean, you look at him. Greg Zerline, his numbers were down, but that doesn't tell the whole story of his career with the Rams. Greg Zerline attempted three 60-yard field goals in 2015, which equaled all other NFL teams. He, by himself, equaled every other team in football for trying to kick 60-yard field goals. And 30% of his kicks were from 50 or more. The league average is 16.2. All that boils down to Jeff Fisher's an ass. Okay, Jeff Fisher is an ass. He's a boob. He's a boob, and he destroyed that guy's confidence. I think that with a change of scenery and proper coaching, I mean, that guy's got a monster leg, and he's got accurate. And when he was on, he was a very good kicker for the Rams. I think that with a change of scenery and some proper coaching, he could be some franchise's next great kicker. I'd like it to be us. And then... Cairo Santos. If that doesn't pan out, by all accounts, the Chiefs are going to let him test the water. So I wouldn't hesitate to see them make a play for, again, another guy who he's had some accuracy issues, but a lot of that's coaching. And I think that a change of scenery for either one of those players, but especially Greg Zerline, could pay huge dividends for the Buffalo Bills. And then that brings me to <laughs> the probably the most infamous list that we have here, the do not sign list. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 <laughs> if we sign any one of these guys, that's going to be my reaction in the middle of my office. I'm going to kick my trash can and shut the lights off, and no one's going to be able to talk to me for a while. We're going to start this list off with someone who keeps being linked to the Bills, and I don't know why. Deshaun Jackson. I get it. He's, he's an electric downfield receiver, and he's capable of making all these big plays. He's slated to be making $7.2 million a year. I'm sorry. He brings nothing to the run game. He doesn't block well. I would almost rather keep Robert Woods for what that's going to cost me. I mean, Chris, what do you think? No, I... <laughs> I mean, there's a whole bunch of connections with uh, Philly. Shady's here. McDermott was in Philly while he was there. You could see it, but I don't want us shelling out that kind of money for somebody that's just a deep threat. Well, and likewise, the next guy on this list, Andrew Hawkins. Some some asshat at work walks up to me and goes, hey, man, oh, you know, you talk a lot about the Bills, don't you? I was like, yes, I talk a lot about the Bills. Continue. He goes, oh, yeah, they, well, the Browns just cut Andrew Hawkins. I think Get he- out of my office! <laughs> that was about the long and short of it. I mean, he's going to turn 32 in the two th- th- before, after this season. He'll be 32 years old. He's only 5'7". He's only 5'7", which limits everything, everything that he can do if he does, in fact, age the way humans tend to age. Just get Hunter. It lo- starts to lose Hunter's got size, and he's... What, younger? Thank you. The next guy in this list, oh, I, someone brought it up to me, and I, I, I wanted to spit coffee out because, again, I work in an environment where people know that I talk about the Buffalo Bills, so they come up to me with some really, really stupid ideas. And th- this one, Metalik Watson, right tackle out of Oakland. Move this man! Move! 
Watson was a high draft pick. He was taken in the second round and hasn't been able to lock down a starting gig at either tackle position for the Raiders. The Raiders aren't a team who, I mean, last year, over the last two years, they've rebuilt that offensive line, and that's been their strength. But Watson just hasn't been able to be a starter for that team. I mean, he's got bust written all over him, and he's missed a ridiculous number of games with injury, which is the last thing that we need out of a Buffalo Bills player. I'm sorry, I just I, I I don't care if he's free. I don't want him. Next on the list, Luke Jokel, Garden Tackle, out of Jacksonville. There will be a team out there that thinks that they can salvage the former second overall pick out of his draft. Hey. Might as well retire if Doug Marone couldn't get anything out of him. (laughs) St. Doug couldn't rescue your career, Luke. He was bad enough to get reassigned to a new position on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are a team that's starving for NFL caliber tackle play. (laughs) Ha ha! I mean, that's just embarrassing. And I, I... I get it. Yeah, his his pre-draft run-up, everyone said he was great. He was great. He was the next thing. You know, he's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. I don't give a damn. I don't want the guy here. I don't care what he costs. Again, I'll say this. I shouldn't say that. If he is the cheapest market and he's willing to come here on a, contra- on a one-year, two-year, prove-me, wrong deal, and we already have another tackle in place, you know, if he's willing to come here and be a backup, good, great, sign him. But otherwise, I don't want him anywhere near my football team. Get out of here. And then the last guy on the list. You know, we talked about linebacker being a position of need for the Buffalo Bills. Well, Malcolm Smith, linebacker for the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders' defense wasn't good last year. And even, I mean, Smith, you, you look at his numbers. If You know, there's going to be a lot of stuff flying around about his tackle numbers being high. A lot of that... <laughs> A lot of them being their defense being bad was Malcolm Smith's fault. He was rated as the third worst linebacker in pass coverage by Pro Football Focus in the entire NFL in 2016. He got exposed badly by tight ends and running backs on almost a weekly basis in the passing game. And then he's undersized versus the run. I mean, he's six foot something. I know he's like 222 pounds. So he's not built to take on the run. So you'd think he'd be speedy and play well against the pass, but he can't do that either. I mean, it just leads me to one question. What would you say you do here? It's about the long and short of it, Malcolm. What is it that you do here in the NFL? Oh, Chris, I feel like I've just talked nonstop for an hour and a half straight. Yep. Where are we with this? We're at the end. <laughs> We're at the end of the show. Guys, I've run I'm sick. I'm running out of gas here and I'll tell you, I've just I want to know what you guys think. You know, no one no one gets in the ring with me on this except for the morons that I work with who give me some of the dumbest sports opinions I've ever heard. Like so, Andrew Watkins or whatever <laughs> Andrew that Andrew Watkins. Whatever that dude is. So why don't you tell us some of your, you know, with this run up to free agency, we're going to be recording again right there on the cusp of it. I want to see what what happens, how this all pans out. Get a hold of us. You can find us at Rockpile Report on Twitter, at the Rockpile Report on Instagram. Hey, we're bl- <laughs> yeah, we're blowing up on Instagram. I'm, we're followed by Heath Evans of NFL Network. We're followed by Johnny Bananas from. MTV's challenges, and then today 
I got followed by John Elway's daughter. You can tell Chris runs it. I have no idea what Instagram is or how it works. It's all witchcraft to me. It's all photos. All I do is I'll take screenshots of Twitter and put it on Instagram (laughs) and hashtag Buffalo everything. (laughs) Guys, thanks so much for sticking around, but... I want your feedback. Come on now. You got to let me know. What, what are some of your sleeper picks? What are some of the things that you guys think about going into free agency or that you think we should do with some of these uh, free agents that we have that might be leaving? Let us know. We're also going to be on Facebook Live you know, p- pretty much on a weekly basis going forward. Yeah, right after, we sh- right after the show. <laughs> right after the show. And like I said, we're, we're really trying to work on this because we want to hear what you think. So get a hold of us. Guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report.